Chapter Four of Erema. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Dodge. Erema by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter Four, The King of the Mountains. If I think and try to write forever with the strongest words. I cannot express to any other mind a thousandth part of the gratitude which was, and is, and ought to be forever in my own poor mind, toward those who were so good to me. From time to time, it is said, whenever any man with power of speech or fancy gets some little grievances, that all mankind are simply selfish, miserly, and miserable. To contradict that saying needs experience even larger, perhaps, than which has suggested it, and this I cannot have, and therefore only know that I have not found men or women behave at all according to that view of them. Whether Samson Gundry owed any debt, either of gratitude or of loyalty, to my father, I did not ask, and he seemed to be, like everyone else, reserved and silent as to my father's history. But he always treated me as if I belonged to a rank of life quite different from, and much above his own. For instance, it was long before he would allow me to have my meals at the table of the household. But as soon as I began in earnest to recover from starvation, loss, and loneliness, my heart was drawn to this grand old man, who had seen so many troubles. He had been here and there in the world so much, and dealt with so many people that the natural frankness of his mind was sharpened into caution. But any weak and helpless person still could get the best of him, and his shrewdness certainly did not spring from any form of bitterness. He was rough in his ways sometimes, and could not bear to be contradicted when he was sure that he was right, which generally happened to him. But, above all things, he had one very great peculiarity, to my mind highly vexatious, because it seemed so unaccountable. Samson Gundry had a very low opinion of feminine intellect. He never showed this contempt in any unpleasant way, and indeed he never, perhaps, displayed it in any positive sayings. But as I grew older and began to argue, sure I was that it was there, and it always provoked me tenfold as much by seeming to need no assertion, but to stand as some great axiom. The other members of the household were his grandson, Ephraim, or Firm Gundry, the Indian woman, Swan Isco, and a couple of helps, of race or nation almost unknown to themselves. Swan Isco belonged to a tribe of respectable Black Rock Indians, and had been the wife of a chief among them, and the mother of several children. But Klamath Indians, enemies of theirs, who carried off the lady of the cattle ranch, and afterwards shot Elijah, had Swan Isco in their possession, having murdered her husband and children, and were using her as a mere beast of burden, when Samson Gundry fell on them. He, with his followers, being enraged at the cold-blooded death of Elijah, 
fell on those miscreants to such purpose that women and children alone were left to hand down their bad propensities. But the white men rescued and brought away the stolen wife of the stockman, and also the widow of the Black Rock chief. She was in such poor condition and so broken-hearted that none but the finest humanity would have considered her worth a quarter of the trouble of her carriage. But she proved to be worth it a thousandfold, and Sawyer Gundry, as now he was called, knew by this time all the value of uncultivated gratitude, and her virtues were so many that it took a long time to find them out, for she never put them forward, not knowing whether they were good or bad. Until I knew these people and the pure depth of their kindness, it was a continual grief to me to be a burden upon them, but when I came to understand them and their simple greatness, the only thing I was ashamed of was my own mistrust of them. Not that I expected ever that any harm would be done to me, only that I knew myself to have no claim upon any one. One day, when I was fit for nothing but to dwell on trouble, Samson Gundry's grandson, Firm, as he was called for Ephraim, ran up the stairs to the little room where I was sitting by myself. "'Miss Rima, will you come with us?' he said in his deep, slow style of speech. "'We are going up to the mountain to haul down the great tree to the mill.' "'To be sure I will come,' I answered gladly. "'What great tree is it, Mr. Ephraim?' "'The largest tree anywhere near here. "'The one we cut down last winter. Ten days it took to cut it down. "'If I could have saved it, it should have stood. "'But Grandfather did it to prove his rights. "'We shall have a rare job to lead it home, "'and I doubt if we can tackle it. "'I thought you might like to see us try.' In less than a minute I was ready, for the warmth and softness of the air made cloak or shawl unbearable. But when I ran down to the yard of the mill, Mr. Gundry, who was giving orders, came up and gave me an order, too. "'You must not go like this, my dear. We have three thousand feet to go upward. The air will be sharp up there, and I doubt if we shall be home by nightfall. Run, Swan, and fetch the young lady's cloak.' and a pair of thicker boots for change. Suanisco never ran. That manner of motion was foreign to her, at least as we accomplish it. When speed was required, she attained it by increased length of stride and great vigor of heel. In this way she conquered distance steadily and with very little noise. The air and the light and the beauty of the mountains were a sudden joy to me. In front of us all strode Samson Gundry, clearing all tangles with a short, sharp axe, and mounting steep places as if two score were struck off his three score years and five. From time to time he turned around to laugh, or see that his men and trained bullocks were right, and then, as his bright eyes met my dark ones, he seemed to be sorry for the noise he made. On the other hand, I was ashamed of damping anyone's pleasure by being there. But I need not have felt any fear about this. Like all other children, I wrapped myself up too much in my own importance, 
and behaved as if my state of mind was a thing to be considered. But the longer we rose through the freedom and the height, the lighter grew the heart of everyone, until the thick forest of pines closed round us, and we walked in a silence that might be felt. Hence we issued forth upon the rough, bare rock, and after much trouble with the cattle and some bruises stood panting on a rugged cone or crest, which once had been crowned with a titan of a tree. The tree was still there, but not its glory, for, alas, the mighty trunk lay prostrate, a grander column than ever was or will be built by human hands. The tapering shaft stretched out of sight for something like a furlong, and the bulk of the butt rose over us so that we could not see the mountains. Having never seen any such tree before, I must have been amazed if I had been old enough to comprehend it. Samson Gundry, large as he was, and accustomed to almost everything, collected his men and the whole of his team on the ground floor or area of the stump before he would say anything. Here we all looked so sadly small that several of the men began to laugh. The bullocks seemed nothing but raccoons or beavers to run on the branches or the fibers of the tree. The chains and the shackles and the blocks and the cranes and all the rest of the things they meant to use seemed nothing whatever or at all to be considered except as a spider's web upon this tree. The sagacious bullocks, who knew quite well what they were expected to do, looked blank. Some rubbed their horns into one another sadly, and some cocked their tails because they felt that they could not be called upon to work. The light of the afternoon sun came glancing along the vast pillar and lit its dying hues, cinnamon, purple, and glabrous red, and soft gray where the lichens grew. Everybody looked at Mr. Gundry, and he began to cough a little, having had lately some trouble with his throat. Then, in his sturdy manner, he spoke the truth according to his nature. He set his great square shoulders against the butt of the tree and delivered himself. Friends and neighbors and hands of my own, I am taken in here, and I own to it. It serves me right for disbelieving what my grandson, Firm Gundry, said. I knew that the tree was a big one, of course, as everybody else does, but till you see a tree laid upon the earth, you get no grip of its girth, no more than you do of a man till he lieth a corpse. At the time of felling I could not come anigh him, by reason of an accident, and I had some words with this boy about it, which kept me away ever since that time. Firm, you were right, and I was wrong. It was a real shame, now I see it, to throw down the king of the mountains. But, for all that, being down, we must use him. He shall be sawn into fifty-foot lengths, and I invite you all to come again for six or seven good turns at him. At the hearing of this, a cheer arose, not only for the sawyer's manly truth, but also for his hospitality, because on each of these visits to the mountain, he was the host, and his supplies were good. 
but before the descent with the empty teams began young ephraim did what appeared to me to be a gallant and straightforward thing he stood on the chine of the fallen monster forty feet above us having gained the post of vantage by activity and strength and he asked if he might say a word or two say away lad cried his grandfather supposing perhaps in his obstinate way for truly he was very obstinate that his grandson was now going to clear himself from art or part in the murder of that tree an act which had roused indignation over a hundred leagues of lowland neighbors said firm in a clear young voice which shook at first with diffidence we all have to thank you more than i can tell for coming to help us with this job it was a job which required to be done for legal reasons which i do not understand but no doubt they were good ones for that we have my grandfather's word and no one i think will gainsay it now having gone so far we will not be beaten by it or else we shall not be americans these simple words were received with great applause and an orator standing on the largest stump to be found even in america delivered a speech which was very good to hear but need not now be repeated and mr gundry's eyes were moist with pleasure at his grandson's conduct firm knoweth the right thing to do he said and like a man he doeth it but whatever aileth you miss rema and what can he see in the distance yonner never mind my dear then tell me by and by when none of these folk is alongside of us but i could not bear to tell him till he forced it from me under pain of his displeasure i had spied on the skyline far above us in the desert track of the mountain this very gap in which my father stood and bade me seek this landmark his memory was true and his eyesight also but the great tree had been felled the death of the king of the mountains had led to the death of the king of mankind so far as my little world contained one End of chapter 4